Good afternoon, you lovely people. Hope you're good. This is my only show of the week in which I've not got a guest, so I'll try not to try not to put you off too too soon. But uh, I think it's a fairly juicy topic. Thought we'd talk a little bit about conflicts of interest, biases, influences, and how we might navigate the world without having to succumb to giving a massive caveat and prefix to every conversation, but similarly how uh, we might make sure things are cards are on the table in terms of what might be colouring our uh, decision-making, our reasoning, um, and, uh, and some of the ways and places in which it's really important. Because I've noticed uh, it's not a particularly thing that I won't say a really hot topic. I think it's something that kind of comes up in waves. And um, I think that sometimes there's, there's certain types of conflicts of interest that are more obvious and therefore get more, uh, more discussion. Um, but then other, uh, others that kind of go under the radar a little bit, um thanks to those that are tuning in i can tell i must be uh going uh getting me loud and clear because i'm getting comments coming in thank you so much mohit said good topic yes well i hope i do it justice it won't be a sort of a scalpel sharp uh critique really it'll be more just a bit of a discussion around it because it's sort of a broad area that i don't think we'd be able to cover uh very very specifically uh or weighing in on one particular area of it but i think i'd be just interested in your thoughts for those that are tuning in live Someone on the Physio Matters podcast feed has said, "Is the Snowflake representative boss?" Yeah, so our, our clinic's been decorated by our students. They came in early the other day and uh, and have, have, have decorated the clinic. And so I've got tinsel and snowflakes uh, across my office. And so yeah, I've left that be. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's uh, it's not a relevant product placement of a snowflake to make any sort of inference. I promise you that. So I always want to start with a bit of a question to you all: Is that what does conflict of interest mean to you? Is it something that you recognize that term or phrase? Obviously, we know what it might mean as a phrase in, in the three simple words that even if you've not seen them together, you might understand what that might mean. But I sort of want to know what your instincts are. Do you immediately think, well, conflict of interest, I think about research. Um, conflict of interest, I think about uh, opinions. I think about it just being a form of bias. Conflict of interest, you might, you might immediately think of corruption, nepotism. Or is it some? You know, what does it, I'm, I am interested in? What it kind of means to you, and where, or how you think it's relevant in MSK practice, in education, in uh, various different topics that we often chew over. Um, how it's relevant, and like a, like anything, what I'll try and do is then come to any of your sort of comments and and questions uh, towards the end of it. But uh, I've just got a few things that that uh, I thought when I made a few notes, I thought, well, what does it mean to me? I answer myself, ask myself the same question. There's a few things that I thought I'd uh, I'd like to raise. But please do, yeah, comment in the chat wherever you might be, might be uh, listening and watching this. Um, for those of you that haven't uh, tuned in before, then you find this on wherever it is you fancy it most. Really, it can be on Periscope via Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Where else am I thinking? Twitch, Instagram. So yeah, wherever you prefer to listen to it, you can. And then after the fact, it goes out on podcasts, on Spotify, etc. And so uh, tune in wherever you most fancy it. So anyway, let me let me tell you my take on the matter then. So. Above all else, I think that people typically, and I think I'm the same, is that when I think of conflict of interest, I think about it being almost a, a declaration a statement that can occur. And whenever you read research, you, you sometimes will find that conflicts of interest are discussed in research terms because they need to be sort of declared. So it might well be that the, the funder of a certain trial or a certain project or a certain research unit might need to be declared for, for various reasons. And they often 
are associated, you know, when I've asked this question to rooms full of people or when I, again, if I ask myself the question, I, th I think I make an association to the, the funders and the finance matters. It's sort of the suggestion that it could well be, um, or it's inferred at least, um, but by the fact that these, some, these things have to be declared in, in research terms at least, it's sort of usually mandatory, that then it's suggested that that might be one of the factors that might influence or, or affect the actual behaviour of, say, the researchers or the outcomes that they might come to, it might be relevant or the style of methodology, etc. Now, what's interesting is, and this is one of the things that's difficult to tease apart and why I think it's an interesting topic that I just want to sort of raise with you all, is that sometimes it's then by, by suggesting that that won't just sort of be worth knowing, but also suggesting that that then completely taints work, would, would be to suggest one of two things. One is that any researchers or people involved in whatever project it might be of which there's a declaration of conflict of interest based on, say, funding, is that they are going to be puppets to their paymasters completely and that, that essentially that is akin to corruption. And so even when it's declared, it's something that as if to suggest that they are, as a person, bought and paid for and that they are not necessarily then acting in 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 an honest way there, there is a, a sense of a sense of corruption which of course we hope isn't um you know there are cases of it but we don't suggest is endemic in in science and research etc or policy really in a, in, a, in a healthcare sense typically i don't see that claim much but generally speaking that's kind of the obvious one is that you you're then looking at the the declared or undeclared conflicts of interest or inferring that essentially that there is something affecting someone uh, where they've got their interest in pursuit of truth say uh, which would be when a, a sort of way in which they're trying to pursue getting to uh, answers and then another another conflict in this case their financial interests of the fact that if they came to the right if it came to certain conclusions then that might mean that they get future funding or potentially even on a corrupt level a quid pro quo suggesting that essentially they're they have been funded in order to find or start with the conclusion, essentially. So someone might have funded it and said, oh, you know, winking wink a nudge, hope you come to this answer or I'm paying you to come to this conclusion. And so you're then either trying to create something that would do that or you're cooking the books in a very corrupt way. Now, that's sort of a caricature example, evil genius sort of stroking a, stroking a white cat type situation whereby uh, essentially that's sort of an overt conflict of interest. Now, of course, in most cases, this it's muddier than that, murkier than that. Um, but this, the, the other side of that is so you've got this sort of obvious and overt way in which that would affect it. But then the, the, the more subtle way would be, um, and the thing that we need to keep it on is this, this notion that essentially it's not about that person or that group of scientists being vulnerable to that level of overt influence. It's, it's kind of that, that essentially the... Um, one of the variables that's affecting behavior um is what you know it's, it's like a natural instinct for self-preservation i think everyone's got a bit more sympathy for that is that essentially one of the factors that affects people's behavior will be the fact that that that, that study might have been funded by an organization or an individual or whatever it might be or a lobby that then is invested in certain things being pro propagated or uh, and, and, and a scientific team or any individual might then be 
susceptible to that influence to some extent even when it's declared even when it's accounted for uh, even even if they don't otherwise have any other skin in the game it could well be that that is one of the factors to bear in mind it's a jigsaw piece in the wider puzzle um and i think people are more sensitive to that which is one of the reasons why these things need to be declared so they can all be factored in and we can all work that out and we can account for it now one of the examples that gets classically used would be say that that when you've got studies on the effects of smoking on health being funded by the tobacco industry if you go far enough back certainly you've just got this way in which that essentially it's the that you've got uh, people that, uh, that the funded trials and studies in that direction were then in a situation where they might suggest that smoke is harmless because that's you know beneficial so you've got a conflict of interest there between the pursuit of actual facts of the matter in healthcare but then also the the, the conflict of interest being that the funders then obviously want to perpetuate tobacco sales However, if you look into the tobacco literature, and it's a good example in which if you want to then just write that off wholeheartedly, so I'm just ignoring and writing off tobacco-funded trials. Now, I don't mean in a systematic review sense, whereby you're having to then go far enough back to end up with known corrupt trials that have been falsified by repetition, etc., by independent sources. But I'm just meaning that some of the, some of the really heavy-hitting work in that area, especially more recently, are often contributed to by by tobacco industries um, and so you don't want you don't want to infer that that is always the case so you've got stuff that, that's demonstrated as close to as close to causation as you get in medicine really about the the ill effects of, of smoking for example on on healthcare or in certain diseases say um and so it'd be really clumsy to then say all right i'm completely ruling out regardless of methodology regardless of results regardless of blinding regardless you know there's many a trial like it like this that, that the the participant all the participants in it weren't aware of of that being where the money's come from for example so you've got these levels of blinding that can occur but if you're going to be dismissive of it you could you could lose some quality work uh, in that and so sometimes you know conflicts of interest are, are relevant but they, they're sometimes used uh, clumsily and that would be a shame because you can lose some good science in that now, we don't have to just talk about research on this, really. You know, conflicting interests that can affect all of us in terms of what we're, what we're doing and what we're be behaving like and what these things do to influence our decisions and behaviours, right? Sometimes this stuff isn't always conscious. It's not as if you're sort of weighing up two things. Well, I, you know, I think this, but that's kind of unhelpful for me financially or, or, um, or it might take up my time. Um, it, it, it varies. It's massively variable. And so you want to be recognizing that these things aren't just on research terms it can be on any project or any style of thinking that you're pursuing you can be affected by various different various different ones now an example where i think is, is sort of less visited is that when you're the, the sort of financial conflicts of interest almost feel quite obvious and it's quite easy to understand how they would bias things you know it's something that for example if uh, if you're suggesting someone suddenly says I, um, you know, I, I am um, someone that's completely objective analysis of these five services uh, that that. Um, but but this is the this is by far the best one. If they then don't say, by the way, I'm an ambassador and paid for by these people. You know, I I am I benefit from sales of this. Um, that is something that you would expect it'd be smart for that to be declared because you're at least then saying it could well be that that person is appropriately objectively um you know demonstrating that they are um evaluating fairly those five things but then they're coming to a conclusion it's not it's not a problem but if you if if they, it looks 
is sort of a uh, an ethical thing rather than anything that's sort of duty bound is that it's kind of useful for for whoever's listening to that to know that either coincidentally or it's coloring their decision making is that it turns out that the service or whatever it might be that is being promoted is something that they benefit from financially per unit sale for example right so it's not something that or the order in which that's happened right if the, if the um if it's something that's kind of an opinion that's been born out of of, of of a lack of relationship between those two people it wouldn't have been a conflict of interest that had fueled the actual opinion but then after that has been declared after that has been formulated it could well be that then a conflict emerges or or perpetuates the way in which that person might promote and, and an example that we you know there's plenty of examples that can occur in and around our work you know we do uh, we, we're not not in amongst it that much really in terms of art we have a really staunch independence and we have um we have clauses whereby there's no one that can can directly influence our, our content or words for example so anything that gets put out on physio matters and therapy live and stuff like that then one of the golden rules for any sponsor small or large is that they can never directly influence the, the content or vet the content before it goes out whatever we produce and deem to be appropriate for sharing it, it goes out regardless what's and all um and we've had some examples of that whereby it's uh, it's been, you know, that's why only the only the decent, incredible brands seem to roll the dice with us is because they don't know how that's going to necessarily come out. And if they want to roll the dice and they say, look, I'll roll the dice, but if it, only if it shows twos and fours, will we allow that to go out? Then we just say no. Um, and so regardless of what we come to conclude or whatever, uh, however that dice roll co concludes, you know, we, we put that out there. But then there are circumstances whereby, you know, it's important for us to, to uh, say when someone, so imagine... Imagine there were a name, of, you know, eight sponsors of a therapy live event, um, and then in the middle of it, a, uh, a completely independent thing that's not related to those sponsors is being sort of promoted by the moderators or the speakers or whatever it might be, or and it's sort of unknown, undeclared, and it's actually like a ghost sponsor that's not been named as a sponsor, but it's sort of it's as if um, the promotion of that is completely organic. That'd be. A conflict of interest whereby there's been some financial gain but it's not been appropriately declared now you could argue that that sponsors in general of anything is a conflict of interest of sorts but i suppose this is this interest interesting thing where in the industry we've kind of come to us come to a conclusion that especially declaring it formally is a is an appropriate way of dealing with these things it doesn't completely rid you of the uh, challenge of that potentially influencing you strongly or affecting biases which we'll come to in a second but it's something that we've kind of come to, to come to conclude and this is the bit that i want to uh, and I'll, I'll bring in uh, i'll bring in a few comments in a second actually on this um but i really would want to bring up the, the, the temptation for conflicts of interest to always be perceived under financial when actually if you think about conflicts of interest being conflicts that might affect the decision-making behavior or, or conclusions that are come to in any context then if you have something that's worth googling and pursuing some of the literature or thinking or writing on this but ideological conflicts of interest are incredibly powerful and potent too if you imagine that it doesn't matter necessarily if there's a narrow personal self-interest involved there could just be something that reputationally it leans into say an audience's existing bias or a reputation that already exists that when weighing up something as best as you can objectively then you lean towards the thing that sort of suits all your underlying biases and if you accumulate those underlying biases that we all have 
then that sometimes can form an ideology, a worldview, and therefore it's more likely that you might perpetuate things that are then in line with that to stay on brand, to stay consistent. It's not that you're doing that purposefully necessarily, but you're just feeling like actually you the, the evidence if the evidence for and evidence against as it's being weighed up you might be tainting that because none of us are purely reasoned objective actors and, and, and nor should we be necessarily I'm not saying that that would be even a good thing but it's just more that independent of, of money it's just that sometimes people's ideology worldview is, is coloring things and it's come sometimes actually quite obvious it's just that that is less likely to be declared you know it's something that examples being that if you're um in healthcare then your opinion on how healthcare should be best delivered, say across sectors, something that we've talked about on this show before. So if you imagine that this, so if you're someone that feels that in, if they were able to write the world out, then 100% of healthcare should be delivered by taxation funded nationalized health services, not even nationalized, but it could even be beyond that, but essentially taxation funded free at point of access care, 100% of it, then that worldview of which many hold is something that is likely to be a ideological conflict of interest when presented with say evidence or discussion which might weigh up pros and cons of how healthcare is delivered right if you if you're you're someone that doesn't mean you should be excluded from that conversation far from it but it just means that that if that's a deep ideology that you're holding and an opinion that you hold dear it could well be that when you're weighing things up that conflict of interest between true, appropriate, balanced valuation and the strength and weight of that as your personal conviction, it might well be that that influences things quite strongly. Similarly, on the other side of that, of course, if you're someone that, you know, given the chance to, you would just, and I don't mean out of an, um, an analysis of balance, but in terms of just ideologically speaking, you were opposed to any of your, you know, your, your anti-taxation, for example, and therefore you're not for any sort of u public utilities, uh, regardless of, of income. You know, radical um, libertarianism of a sorts, right? If we're thinking in terms of that, um, then ideologically speaking, when you're weighing things up and you're thinking about um, you know, how, how healthcare should be delivered again, you're in a situation when when reading more about um, about health inequalities or about um, in, in MSK context, you know, it's like the, the burden of disease when we're all evaluating who's in pain and what and how we could put that right and, and creating rehabilitation systems. Then if you're of the opinion and a strong conviction um, whilst evaluating that, but you're of the, of the position whereby, you know, you, you've come to the conclusion that really, given the chance to, you would just completely dismantle the NHS and anything that would look like it, um, then that's a fairly deep conviction that's going to be as potent or as powerful as many financial conflicts of interest, if not more. Uh, you can get a combination of both of those things, of course. But on an institutional level, and I think this is the thing that pe people miss, they miss the ideological piece, I think, a bit, but then also they, myth, they miss this next bit, is that there's someone that may well not be financially funded by... Um, an, an obvious organization that's got skin in the game, that's got products to sell, that's for profit. But if you think about institutions, even large ones, say the University of Oxford or the University of Cambridge or these big, credible you know, financial, uh, financial educational institutions, is that, that by department or by school or by college or whatever it might be, that the way in which that is perceived, and also the audience of any individual or research team within it, is that 
ideological conflicts of interest can come into that in terms of what you might feed and fuel in terms of expectation of audience and the way that that colors it. And, and that's the bit that gets missed sometimes is that people say, well, I've got these two pieces of evidence that are interesting. One of which I've, I'm pointing at the conflicts of interest because look, it was funded by uh, something that was, there was a really obvious financial linkage whereby the conclusions of that suit the interests of the funder. And then on the other side, they say, well, look at this, look at this completely independent uh, conflict independent source, which comes to a different conclusion. And therefore, it, that, that is somehow um, more pure or it's more accurate. When, when the conflicts of interest aren't financial, they might not be as declared. But it turned out that the, that the lead authors all uh, could have started with that conclusion. You know, they're kind of declared under an ideology or a series of ideological positions that sort of supported the conclusion. It's not dissimilar. It's just that one gets declared more obviously than the other. And I don't necessarily know how we navigate that very well. For example, did I need to come onto this show or do I need to start any conversation, be that in person or on social media, with a declared set of conflicts of interest of exactly what organizations you know, feed me children, as well as then what positions I have on a variety of different issues. You know, it, it doesn't seem feasible in conversation for that to always be on the table or for it to be necessary or for it to be particularly useful. You know, what does my, my opinion, being uh, silly here, but it's like, did, did my opinion, did I need to declare my conflict of interest on my take on climate change, meat eating, whatever it might be, I'm just picking random ass things. The declaration of any potential ideological conflict of interest, say on a, on a niche topic that's unrelated to the conversation, you're never going to reel off that as if you need to give your life story or your CV in full. But also, where appropriate and where those lines are is difficult. The financial ones are low-hanging fruit, and I think it's absolutely right that they are out on the table. But the other stuff, I think, is sometimes the thing that gets missed. And I'm interested, when I asked you the question, I'm going to come to the comments now. When I asked you the question, what does it mean to you? That's the sort of thing I'm wondering. It's like, are you like me in that you know, you're automatically think you're thinking of corruption, nepotism, the obvious financial ones? Or is it more well-rounded than that? Because essentially, and as the title sort of suggested, all of these are linked to biases and linked to influences. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a complex mix, mix and match, really, of different things, what gets declared and what doesn't. So massive thanks to those of you that are, that are commenting. Let's have a little look. Um, so I think this was, yeah, Mohit had uh, asked the, answered my question fairly early doors. Um, and said influence research to receive financial benefit or any other improper advantage. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what it is. That's similar to what it, it really feels it means to me. It's certainly the, the financial thing. He says he doesn't feel there's any policing from journals and publishers on non-declared or identified conflicts of interest. I know less about that, admittedly. Uh, I feel like, I, you know, there's nothing there that I feel like I want to instinctively disagree with. I, I don't know enough about it. I don't know if, um, you know, what are the consequences of undeclared? You know, is it like what happens in the media whereby they publish a retraction in page seven, three weeks later that no one sees? Or like when someone, you know, a tweet does a massive, um, a massive viral success on a false tweet and then they publish a retraction three weeks later that gets no retweets um, in the middle of the night. You know, it's like, I don't know what the consequences are uh, and I don't know what style of policing is, is in, that, in that mixer. Uh, I really don't know. Um, Katie Napton said there was a really good discussion about cultural bias in healthcare at the recent Armour conference. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gutted I missed that in many ways, the Armour conference. Uh, but I'd love to hear more, and I'm sure I can speak to Katie about that, potentially even on the show. We'll get Katie back on the show. But yeah, thanks, Katie. That's interesting. I'd love to hear more about that. 
There is something to that as well in terms of the sometimes cultural features. And we talked a little bit about this with uh, Jackie Walambe. She was saying about how sometimes our cultures and subcultures defined and parameterized however you wish. It's like the water in which we swim. We don't know necessarily um, that we're in it. I don't know if you've ever seen the sort of cartoon where two fish are speaking to each other saying water's cold today. And they said, well, what's water? You know, they wouldn't necessarily know if that's all they know. And so, you know, it's, it's the, this awkward uh, understanding of, of how, how you can truly declare something if you, without recognizing it. And I think the cultural biases in healthcare um, are a really interesting topic and certainly something we want to visit more on this uh, on this show. Mohit again said another classic opioid effectiveness studies, conflict of interest from pharma companies. I think that's the next in line, really, when you think about tobacco and cigarettes and stuff. Um, I find it really interesting that they're probably next in line for the most obvious slow hanging fruit examples are in the pharmacology industry, but equally would be gutted if, you know, pharma trials, um, pharma funded trials, you know, it's all about trying to making sure we take a close look at the, at the methods and the results and make sure that there's no scientific fraud going on. But generally speaking, um, you've got pharmaceutical companies putting their drugs up for trial. And that's why you need these third party um assessment boards and and, and um, america it's fda isn't it oh, but but essentially the and we know this as conversation through the sort of vaccines at the moment isn't it like what what are legitimate independent appropriately independent places to evaluate the quality of work so that it's not just been bought and paid for be that individuals research teams etc what appropriate blinding has occurred so that then any biases that pre-exist is then you know, in pharmacy and, and things like that, it's just something that you can try and get stuck into uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the rights from wrongs, the, the, the facts of the matter in an easier way. Whereas in, in our game, it's rarely, you know, pharmacy is a useful example. When you think of interventions or you think of suggested focuses or when people are pontificating, myself included, as commentators about the, the state of affairs in MSK, is that sometimes that's exactly a sort of ideological bias, ideological conflict of interest to some extent when evaluating something that is counter to your narrative is that that's the bit that seems to be missing sometimes, is that underneath some people's opinions, because it's often unintentional, which again, Mohit's saying here, he's nailed it today. Thank you, mate, for your contributions. At times, it's difficult to identify conflicts. It can be unintentional ignorance or subconscious bias. Absolutely. And you can't take it. And, and also, I, I find as a matter, of, a matter of due diligence, really, it seems smart for us to try and not impugn motives on people that they've not declared or they would would push back against you know if you're trying to scratch around in their head and saying well this is why you're doing something it's like you know i think realistically you want to try and err on the side of not doing that i think it's not a good idea to impugn motives that someone wouldn't otherwise associate to if they're saying why they're doing it um and you might want to challenge that um then obviously that's a different thing but when you're saying you're only saying that because this and they say no i'm not it's like you know, it's psychoanalysis that goes on sometimes. But then on an individual level, sometimes it's incredibly challenging. I'm not saying I've got full control of that in myself. You know, I'm not, um, I hope I'm not a, a massive hypocrite in this space either. But as a general rule, it's something we should be bearing in mind. We should be declaring appropriately. I think especially in healthcare, I think it's imp incredibly important to do so. But generally speaking, I think that the, the, the broad sense of what can be a conflict of interest, what constitutes a bias, what, contri contri con what contributes to, um, your opinion based on all the variety of different influences, the jigsaw puzzle pieces that make up the wider picture. I think that sometimes some things go well declared and others 
go under declared. So we really appreciate your time and contributions today. Really, for those that are in the majority that watch this after the fact or listen to the podcast, really keen for you to get in touch across social media, be that uh, Jack H.U. on Twitter and uh, also Physio Matters across things like YouTube, right? wherever it is you found it and, and things like that. I've just been really interested in your thoughts on this topic and I really appreciate you guys commenting and feeding back afterwards because that sort of helps me to shape future shows. Tomorrow we've got a great episode coming up. We're going to catch up with my friend Liz Proker-Powich who has a new blog and she's going to be talking a little bit about The Girls Who Climb Trees which is a brilliant uh, a brilliant little blog that she's put together about uh, about her take on and her reflections on recent times uh, and in and around some, some feminism and fe feminist theory I'm noticing and come through that whether she'd call it that i don't know but it's kind of that you know it's just sort of what it means uh, to be a woman and be, what it means to be a girl who climbs trees uh, which speaks well to, to many females in my family uh, as well as then liz is always it's always great to catch up with her she's always got something interesting to say so i'm looking forward to catching up with her on that tomorrow uh, for our last show of the week so thanks for thanks for putting up with me on my own today but rest assured guests again tomorrow so uh many thanks and i hope you have a, a great day let me know in the comments section etc what you think of uh, all the ramblings on today's show it's a really interesting topic that i do fancy visiting more, something more specifically on this uh, in coming weeks maybe in the new year all right take care i'll speak to you soon